Hey, Construction Nation. Welcome to episode number 59. This is Trust in Teams, a balance between empathy and accountability. And our guest today is Jeff Sims, who is a senior project leader for science and research facility projects. And I think that he is a really talented, experienced, trusted leader that I thought would be a wonderful person for you all to learn from and get insights from. So I think that in this episode, you're going to really enjoy listening to Jeff's background, where he came from, along with the special tool that he likes to use and uh, some stories he has about listening, which I think is important. But really overall, I think it is about his belief and commitment to being a servant leader and coaching his people. And you do that by balancing between empathy and accountability in order to achieve results. So I think you're going to like this episode. So let's give a listen. Hey, Construction Nation. Welcome to Lead with Trust. I'm Sue Dyer. And I've been on a three-decade journey to figure out how to make sure our construction projects succeed and produce some extraordinary results. My trusted leader journey has led me to work on over 4,000 construction projects worth over $180 billion. In this podcast, I'm here to teach you everything I've learned. One thing I know is that it starts with the leaders of the businesses and organizations that come together to build a project. If that's you, let's get going. So welcome everyone in Construction Nation to episode number 59. Today, I'm so excited to have Jeff Sims with us. He is someone that I have admired for quite a few years, and I really do believe that he is one of the top trusted leaders out there today. So welcome, Jeff, to Lead with Trust. Hi, Sue. Glad to, glad to see you. Thank you so much. So, you know, uh, let's start off with just telling us a little bit about yourself and maybe where you grew up. I grew up in Illinois in farm country, kind of north of Peoria, um, one of six kids in my family and in a town of about 700 people, so a really small town. And my graduating class was of about 32 kids, so that gives you an idea of how big my high school was. My dad was a, a contractor, primarily carpentry, but we also had some backhoes and dump trucks, so it was kind of fun being one of those kids that got to learn how to run big equipment at an early age. I spent a lot of my youth... Um, building stuff with my dad and working on farms. And then uh, later, uh, I worked in the trades as a welder to put myself through college. That's cool. Welding now. We need a lot of those around here. <laughs> okay, so we are going to uh, jump in and ask a little bit about uh, your leadership journey. So, you know, how has trust played a part for you in that? Well, I think it kind of starts with how I was raised, my um, kind of hands-on experience in construction coupled with an engineering degree afforded me the ability to see, you know, different perspectives from the technical and craft perspective and and kind of showed itself as an ability to collaborate uh, as a trusted advocate for kind of both sides. So I, I think having successes early in my career with delivering some complex projects used using, you know, many like contractors and trade staff kind of set me apart from other leaders. Um, I guess uh, 
when people ask my dad, you know, what it was that I did for a living, he used to say that I was the mediator between scientists and contractors, you know, kind of somebody that knows how to live in each world. Um, I guess that's a pretty good description. Um, I think, you know, trust played a strong part in my journey because battling through the challenges and ambiguity of uh, large one-of-a-kind, you know, science projects means uh, creating and maintaining trusting relationships over and over. Uh, projects like these, you know, can have a duration of, I'd say, five to seven years. Uh, so they go through phases where team members change. I guess so maintaining a strong trust to work through those challenges and tamp out the ambiguity is is kind of key. And what I mean by that is um, project leaders just can't be optimistic. You know, we have to create a, a culture of, you know, where the, the entire team is really comfortable asking critical questions because blind spots and repeated surprises are really project killers. Um, so imagine a room of people that are, you know, some PhDs, some contractors with extremely different viewpoints and life experiences, all being comfortable with saying and listening to what scares them. I mean, that's a tall order for to foster psychological safety in that environment. I guess from those experiences, I found to me that um, to develop that culture of trust takes a lot of time, but it's also created or maybe earned one conversation at a time. A couple things that stood out for me. One is that I think it's unusual for someone to kind of come from the trades and then come up into like the owner's management perspective paradigm. I think that's awesome. And uh, it also brings to mind when you're talking about the the teams coming together, uh, one of my philosophies is that hope is not a strategy. That you really have to work together to co-create the solutions once you understand them. And you don't get that without the psychological safety. So I know you've led some large, complex science and research projects over the years. So what tools have you found really have helped you? Yeah, I guess there's some tools we can talk about. But I think that, you know, the root of all those tools is really uh, listening. And I guess I say that because... um, you know, we all have experiences from the past of watching, you know, leaders that we worked for. And I've seen some leaders with poor listening skills just really flame out because, you know, ideas, mitigations and innovation kind of passes them by and they just didn't hear it. Um, so, you know, I think when I look at the root of this, you know, listening really tends to be a challenge for pragmatic driven people that really are kind of drawn to projects because they're the kind of people that want to get stuff done. And I guess at some level, at least maybe early on, I was wired that way. Um, it's really a drive for results, which is good and which is what you need in projects. But but it is something that as you start leading larger and larger teams, you've got to find ways to manage that. And so it kind of reminds me, you know, I'm recalling about 10 years ago when I took a leadership course and they had lots of uh, exercises on listening, which was really, really helpful. Um, one, for example, is we would pair up in twos and have each person talk about a challenge that they're working on for about 10 minutes. And then the other person would, uh, you know, without interrupting, would have to remember all that content of the 10 minutes and then reiterate the content at the end and summarize um, and then reflect on what they heard. So if you've ever done that, it's really, really hard to do. But I think it's a great exercise to develop some muscle memory around this, especially if you're a really pragmatic person. And another thing they did was that they had us 
uh, commit to kind of identifying days where we were to minimize our talking and mainly listen at work and, and then also at home. And I think that was hard, but it was also really useful. I mean, it's about getting comfortable with not having to get in there and tell someone what you think. You know, it's really about forcing others to have a voice in listening. I agree with you completely that active listening is hard. It takes practice. Uh, I always tell teams, I can I can guarantee that I can improve your communication by 50%. Just stop talking. <laughs> Absolutely. So true. So true. Yeah. So listening is a skill. And it sounds like, you know, you've worked and worked to create that skill. But I think there's many tools that can be used. I guess I'm not one of those people that that believes in quick fixes or easy, easy answers. But I think there is uh, one thing that I use fairly consistent, consistently, and that's Patrick Lencioni's five basic um, functions of a dysfunctional team. And, you know, it doesn't mean that, you know, we want a dysfunctional team, but I think his, his research found that what didn't work uh, is something we can use as a framework to kind of guide a healthy team. Um, So the concept for a healthy team is really founded on trust, but ultimately strives for results. Absolutely. We don't get results and we can't do the results by ourselves. It's not going to happen, particularly in a project. We're all interdependent and you got to get everybody doing their part. I always think of it like my background was dancing when I was a kid. Uh, so, you know, you have to have it choreographed and everybody has to know their moves and they have to know when they have to be beating at the same tempo or you, you just have total chaos. And that's what I see on a lot of projects. We sort of end up with this rhythm that's not together. We're not, nobody knows quite what's happening. Since my Wall Street Journal bestselling book, The Trusted Leader came out last February, So many of you have asked me to create a course based on my book. So I've spent this year developing the Trusted Leadership course, Go Farther Faster by Using Trust. And I'm so excited to announce that this self-study and also group coaching course will be ready for launch in January of 2023. It has six modules that will be transformative for you and your leadership. And I guarantee that you will get a breakthrough to the next level of trust in a challenge that you and your team face. And the group coaching is there to support you every step of the way and answer your questions and learn from others. I'm so excited. And I hope that you will jump on over to sudico.com slash course S-U-D-Y-C-O dot com slash course, C-O-U-R-S-E, and reserve your spot today. Now, back to the show. What do you think about the new modeling techniques? Are are those helping you with uh, developing trust in this rhythm that's needed? Yeah, I think think using this model, for example, is is something that I do, um, I, maybe is kind of a recipe for success. It's um, really a checklist, right, um, that you can go back to and help ensure the team stays healthy. And as I mentioned, you know, the five dysfunctions are founded on trust, and it's normally depicted as a triangle that has, you know, conflict, commitment, accountability, and then results at the very top. Um, and I guess so what I do with that is I share it with the teams early on, um, and talk through the model and we kind of 
agree that we're going to strive to achieve this and be intentional on this path. And then we occasionally kind of check back in as a group and kind of give ourselves a score or rating in those areas to try to find if there's something we can do better. So maybe I should say a little bit more about what the, uh, the five dysfunctions are. And um, so the, as we talked at the bottom of this triangle is, is, uh, is trust, which is obvious uh, because if we don't trust each other, none of the rest of the work we do will matter. Communication will break down and, and, and we will definitely fail. I think the next step is conflict. And for projects, that means we need to get comfortable with conflict in meetings. And that's what we talked about a little bit earlier is really being able to ask those critical questions and not um, feel offended by it. Um, we have to encourage it in a healthy and professional, respectful way. I guess, you know, from a leadership perspective, nothing scares me more than being in a meeting where everybody nods their heads up and down and ends up high-fiving each other because I know that the tough questions weren't asked. And so that group think and complacency, at least in projects, really can ensure failure. So the next level above conflict is commitment. And this is really important and, you know, constantly, um, if, we, if we constantly stay in conflict and don't commit on our solutions, we can't find that path forward to succeed. So each of us has to know that at some point we want to, we want or, or believe is right, won't be accepted. And after, you know, after we say we have to accept the, the path forward and, and uh, or actually after, after we have our say, we, we have to accept the path forward and commit as a team. Accountability is the next level. And um, it can be a huge challenge in projects since many are done in a matrix environment where you take an element of work and you give it to another uh, functional team that maybe doesn't report to you. Um, it, it's really a challenge sometimes to get that commitment. But you know, once we've committed, we have to make sure that the appropriate team members take and are held accountable on that scope. Only then can we reach the results, which is really at the top of the pyramid. And I guess I see, you know, lister, listening and fostering that ownership that we talk about is kind of the glue at the interface of each one of these levels. So, um, you know, as I mentioned before, nothing's really as easy as following a five-step progress or a process, but, but we all have many conversations where we listen to our team, coach them, and balance and empathy and accountability on a daily basis to achieve achieve our objective. So one of the things that stood out to me for what you were just talking about, and I've seen you do this very well, is that in a large, complex organization that's building a science or research project, you have a lot of stakeholders and trying to get them to commit and be a part of the, the process and the solutions. Uh, I, I think that's one of the things that you are really, really good at. And I don't think most people really achieve the level that you have. So uh, it's interesting to know that you're using the Lencioni five dysfunctions of a team to help you. I love that. So if trust is the foundation and results is the end goal, how does a leader create an environment to assure that the team owns the outcomes? Because getting that ownership mm is so important. And that's what we were just talking about. I think you do well. So give us some more insights. So I think about ownership as, you know, you've got to incentivize your team members to want to think about solutions, mitigations early on, develop a plan. And really, you want them to um, think about this, you know, as 
they drive to work, as they drive home, as they're in the shower. And, you know, I think, yeah, it's so true. Um, so I, I mentioned before, I, I feel trust is developed and earned one conversation at a time. And so I think we as leaders can really impact how this goes. I think the most important, most important part of it is how we coach and have one-on-ones with our team members. We want to foster ownership and allow our team members to grow as leaders. So the way we have coaching sessions to ensure that is, is really, really important. I think it's about properly balancing in those conversations, the empathy and accountability parts of the discussion. And what I mean is that when the conversation is over, the team member needs to know that they were heard and the leader understands the challenges and has their back, but they also still know they own the challenges and solutions to those problems. If a manager is overly empathetic and doesn't uh, ensure the team member walks away owning the challenge, then it's really hard to get results. Um, And sometimes the leader will solve the problems for the team members. And that's often a recipe for disaster and a missed opportunity to grow that team member into a leader by making them do the work to solve the problem. And, but on the other hand, you know, if a leader is strong on accountability and weak on empathy, the team member won't feel heard or supported and trusted. And the the trust will, will wane in that situation. I think that's brilliant. And I think probably each person has a little bit different need and that's where the art of it all comes in. So um, can you give us some examples uh, of how this has played out for you on your projects? Yeah, I think there's one I I share quite a bit. I guess it was about 12 years ago, I was having lunch with a mentor of mine and I was implementing a relationship with a peer that that I felt the person was being very manipulative and caustic. And my mentor shared a few techniques about how to improve the working relationship. But of course, I continued to complain and just said I didn't want this person on the project anymore. He knew that wasn't going to happen for political reasons that I won't get into. But um, at that point, he changed the conversation and he asked um, if I played basketball in high school. And I said, yeah. He asked if I liked everybody on my basketball team. And, and I said, well, no, there was a few people that I didn't get along with. And he asked me if I passed the ball to those people during the games. And I said, well, you have to to keep the defense spread out and, and win the game. And he looked at me very attentively and said, well, then pass the damn ball. And so to me, that's a really good example of coaching uh, to help me see my problem another way. Um, He was really able to help me understand that he was listening and he heard me and he's trying to guide me. But at the same point, I walked away knowing that I had to, I had to work this out and I had to figure out a path to, to, to make us successful. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Um, we all need a men- some mentors, it sounds like, too. Get yeah. us out of our own head and our own way of doing things. So what advice can you offer to leaders who are out there uh, wanting to implement trust and ownership and results on their projects or within their organization? Yeah, and, you know, it's so much harder these days, Sue. You know, I think the last few years have been so hard on everyone. You know, <laughs> much of our communications like today is two-dimensional and and it really even makes building trust harder. So I guess my advice, uh, you know, I think the first thing is self-care and self-management as leaders. You know, we have to be aware of what we're dealing with personally and get ourselves in a place where we can be uh, good leaders and mentors. Um, 
We have to behave in a way that we hope is emulated by, by our teams. Also realizing that our team members are also dealing with lots of stuff these days, lots of impact on their daily lives. And, and you know, that comes through in their behaviors and communications. And we have to be empathetic to what they're, what they're experiencing and what they're going through. I think uh, also, you know, I think being intentional about how we're going to coach our people is really important. And that really means preparing for our coaching meetings. And, you know, we all get really busy, but there isn't anything more important than guiding, you know, our team. Uh, if you look at the long-term goals of, you know, you want somebody to be in your seat someday and want them to be prepared to do that job. So I think thinking about what uh, you want to say to give constructive feedback to those uh, team members is important. Um, obviously, start with what they're doing well, praise them first, but think about the gaps in the, in the growth areas they have. Um, encourage that person to give you feedback also, uh, and then listen and grow yourself because the way you're seen as a leader by your team is really a direct correlation of how effective you are as a leader. So, in, a, in your conversations, it's always important for you to try to. Um, open up and, and receive that feedback. I think um, in in general, it's about, you know, becoming a servant leader. Uh, and, you know, we hear that term all the time and, and it's a it's a goal that many want to strive for. Um, I'm not sure ever anybody will ever get there. Um, I'm not sure what that even particularly looks like, but it's something we can strive for. I, I guess to sum it up into one sentence uh, would really be you know, as leaders, we should be a human first and then a manager. I love that, especially in this day and age. <laughs> it just reminds me so much of um, what I'm hearing sort of behind it all is you have to sort of trust yourself and learn to trust yourself as the leader so that you can have the ability to step aside enough to really help and nurture your own people to grow into what you do. Yeah, well said. That's that's a really, really good way to sum it up. So I love that. So how can people find you? Well, I guess the best way to hunt me down is through LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and we'll put that in the show notes so everybody can find you there. So I so appreciate you being here and sharing your wisdom. And I know there'll be other opportunities. So uh, keep on trucking and doing a great job. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for the opportunity to do this. Okay, Construction Nation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Lead with Trust. Will you do me a favor? If you think this episode can help anyone on your team or business, please forward it to them. Please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And your honest review, hopefully five stars, is much appreciated. Every leader who learns how to build their business and projects on a foundation of trust is going to reap the rewards of greater productivity, attracting the best of the best, enjoying your business more, and doing things you thought were impossible. If you want to know where you are in your trusted leader journey, I have a free resource for you. Please just go to sudico.com slash profile, S-U-D-Y-C-O dot com slash profile. And you can grab it there and find out where you are on your trusted leader journey. And so that is a wrap for today. Can't wait until I get a chance to hang out with you again next week. And until then, have a great day.